Welcome to the From Battle to Business podcast. In this podcast, business coach and fellow veteran Dean Van Dyke will bridge the gap between service and civilian life, helping guide veteran business owners to supercharge their business and unlock hidden profits. You wouldn't go into battle alone, and now you don't have to in business. Let's get to it. Well, welcome back. This is From Battle to Business with your host, Dean Van Dyke. And today I'd like to welcome Brandon from Master Talk. Brendan is the founder of Master Talk. He coaches ambitious executives and entrepreneurs to become the top 1%. That's right, folks, top 1% communicators in their industry. He's got a popular YouTube channel called Master Talk, which I highly recommend to go check out with the goal of providing free access to communication tools to everyone in the world. Welcome, Brandon. Dean, the pleasure is absolutely mine. Thanks for having me on the show. You bet. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Absolutely. So yeah, my name is Brandon. I'm the founder of Master Talk. Master Talk's a YouTube channel that I started to help people with their communication skills. But how I got started, which I think is more interesting, is when I was in business school, I studied in accounting, which is literally the opposite of what I do today. And as you can see from the shock on your face, yeah, I didn't expect to be a communication coach either. But then uh, I started competing in case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, Dean, but for nerds. So while the guys my age were playing football or rugby or baseball, I was one of those guys. I did presentations competitively, and that's how I learned how to speak. But then as I got older, I started to coach all the other students on how to communicate, and I got really good at speaking and coaching other people on how to do that. And that's what led to the YouTube channel, because I felt no one was doing it for free. Well, that's interesting. I, I actually have an accounting background, trained as an accountant in uh, at school, and never worked a day in it in my life. I uh, went into the high tech industry and never looked back. So I can, I can definitely understand because you're right. Accountants don't typically go into a role like you did. And that's, I mean, that's awesome because I know, you know, a lot of people struggle with communicating, uh, especially public speaking, which why, you know, you probably get this question all the time, but I'm going to ask anyways, but why do you think people rank public speaking as one of their top fears in life? So here's my theory. By the way, I think some of this is propaganda, to be honest, about like how communication is the number one fear in the world. I think death is slightly worse than <laughs> communication. But here's my theory. Where do we learn how to speak, Dean? from a formal perspective? The answer is the education system, middle school, high school, whether you live in the States or you live in Canada, any other country around the world, that's how we learn how to speak formally. But all of those presentations, Dean, have three fundamental problems. Number one, all of those presentations are mandatory. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, hey, you wanna get breakfast in and present all day? Nobody says that, so that's problem number one. <laughs> Problem number two is all of the presentations that we do are never tied to a passion. It's never, hey, what do you love to talk about, Dean? Do you love talking about battling or business or media or I guess accounting in some ways? No, you got to talk about Shakespearean poetry and you don't really have a choice in the matter. And True. finally, number three is every single presentation, I have no idea why they do this, it's tied to a punishment. So if you don't do a great job on any of your presentations, there's a punishment that is directly related to that, which is often a reduction in grade. You get reprimanded by students and your teachers. So what's the conclusion here? 
If 100% of all of our presentations are mandatory, we never care to talk about the topic we want to, and it's always tied to a punishment. We learn to believe as we grow older that communication is a chore, and nobody wants to get better at doing the dishes. Well, that's why I got a dishwasher, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, it's interesting because you're right. When you, when you think about school, all of those quote presentations, and I'll use that word loosely in school, uh, we're tied to either do it or get a poor grade. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost, I was listening to, um, a Ted talk before I, I launched the, the podcast today. And, and it was interesting about how to have, you know, behavioral change. And, and a lot of times what people try to do is, is fear. They use fear to try to get you to change. Well, that's the last thing that's going to work to get you to change. Um, and so it's interesting and, and I, I've never heard it the way you presented it. And so I would, I would have to agree with you that, um, you know, I, when I started public speaking in my corporate life, in the, in the military, I actually enjoyed it but I wasn't being punished for it. So that makes, I guess that makes a lot of sense. And so why do you think people, what do you think is the biggest challenge for most folks in public speaking? I think surprisingly it's consistency and motivation. A lot of people think it's the fear, Dean, and I fundamentally disagree. And I'll tell you why. Think about every accomplishment that you've achieved in your life or that I've achieved or that we've achieved as an audience. That could be marrying our significant other, having children, asking somebody mm -hmm. on a date, applying for college, getting a great job, doing a job interview. Everything that we've done, starting a business, do anything or does any of our accomplishments, something that we're proud of, are any of those tied with any fear? And the answer is, of course. We've never done anything with zero fear that matters to us. But for some reason, Dean, when it comes to speaking, we go, oh, I'm scared, so I just won't do it. Like, wh it, why? So for me, the point is, the reason we don't practice communication is because our motivation isn't big enough. Our yeah. why isn't big enough that surpasses it. Example, why, do, why are we scared to interview? We're scared to interview, absolutely. We're fearful, we're scared about what people will think, what will happen, but why do we do it anyways? Because the fear of being broke is significantly higher than the fear of applying for a job. Same thing with being on a date. Yeah, I don't want to ask girls out. I don't want to ask guys out on a date. So what happens? The fear of being alone is significantly higher than asking somebody on a date. So you do it. Or else you'll end up with the wrong person. So that's really the idea. And the way we cultivate motivation is by asking us the simple question. How would your life change if you were an exceptional communicator? Start to really reflect on that question, and it might just change your motivation around it. Oh, I would agree because I think there's because I don't remember what the or who quoted it, but you know, you do it 10,000 times and you become, uh, you know, a master at it. And I think the more you do it, the more you get at ease. I think there's still some, there's still some stage fright before you go on platform or on stage, but if you use that, um, to, you know, for motivation. And, uh, you know, I can remember the first time I got in front of a, a speaking at a conference, uh, a legal conference, no less, which 
get in front of a bunch of lawyers that that can be a little interesting but you know there was i think there was three to four hundred people in the audience and it was the first time i actually did that and i just told myself i'm prepped i'm prepared i know the material let's go and you know i stumbled a little bit on the on the opening but at the end of the day i think it was a you know i learned a lot of things from it and and how to improve from it so how about yourself when you say people should start practicing for public speaking how how does one really i know there's uh, toastmasters which i believe is a group that practices public speaking um how would someone go about uh starting a public speaking whether it's um you know, whatever it may be i mean for a nonprofit or anything like that what's what's the best way to get started absolutely and toastmasters is a great organization especially for people who can't afford a coach who are getting started in their journey but to keep it really simple communication is like juggling 18 balls at the same time dean one of those balls is eye contact one of those balls is facial expression one of those balls is smiling body language eye contact storytelling and it can get really confusing really fast. So the question for all of us is what are the three easiest balls to juggle? Because if we can juggle those three, we can build momentum. So let's go through them. The first one is the random word exercise. Pick a random word like phone, like wall, like ceiling, and create random presentations out of thin air. So two points to this. The first point as to why this is beneficial, Dean, is because it helps you think on your feet and deal with uncertainty. Let's face it, life is filled with uncertainty. So there's just this podcast is called From Battle to Business, probably a lot of business owners listening to this. So there's a lot of uncertainty in business. You can walk into a sales call where people are doing the most random things. Like, what is this person asking? And you have to deal with that situation. You have to be able to manage chaos. So if you talk about avocado toast for 90 seconds, you're going to be pretty good at dealing with chaos day to day if you're selling mm -hmm. the same product or servers. And the second reason why this is effective is because if you can make sense out of nonsense, you can make sense out of anything. And that's really the magic of the random word exercise. Book five minutes in your calendar every day. Do it five times a day. In 30 days, you'll have done it 150 times, and you'll be a superstar at it. Wow. It's, uh, it's one of the things when I think about, and I've got a pen here. Um, a few years ago when I first started doing sales, one of the exercises I was in sales training, they're like, hey, sell me this pen. And I'm like, excuse me? And it really, you know, of course, I, I'll admit I blew that one. It, it didn't go well, but, um, cause I didn't under, I, you know, the, when somebody says, Hey, sell me this, it's, it's, you know, they want to understand what the, the, the features and benefits are going to, you know, benefit them. And I think what you just talked about is if we do it, I think you said five minutes over the course of 30 days, it's 150 minutes and hundred, you know, and then the number of times you've done it. Um, it's amazing to know, to, to realize how quickly you improve on something and, um, I think it's, it's one of the, you know, practice makes perfect. There's a little bit of truth to that. Um, so, you know, a lot of folks are online nowadays. I mean, I'm on zoom calls and, and, you know, trying to present better. How, um, how, how can folks present better online? Yeah, absolutely. Dean. So there's three big differences between online and in person. 
The first one is eye contact. When you're in person, you got to move your body constantly to the different people in the audience. True. But when you're online, whether you're speaking to a thousand people or even one person on a Zoom call, you only have to look in one area, which is the camera lens. Camera. Very simple. And it gives you it gives the illusion that you're looking at everyone directly into their eyes. That's number one. Number two, second difference, is energy. Let's face it, Dean. It's a lot easier to show up with energy when you're in person. You give people high fives, give people a hug, and you have accountability. You actually have to shower. You don't really have a choice anymore. You have to, <laughs> right? That's that's the life. Well, you hope Whereas, people do. You hope people do, yeah, of course, which is a different podcast for another day. <laughs> Probably something I'm not an expert in, unfortunately. But what I would say is online, even if you are a superstar – you still don't have the same level of accountability. Like I'm wearing sweatpants for this interview, right? Like it's just because you can get away with it because people just see the top. They don't see the bottom. And that's really the key. So what's the advice? The advice is show up with more energy in person and transfer as much of that energy mm. as possible in online. That's number two. Number three is accountability from your audience. If I'm giving a workshop in person and I want feedback, Dean, I can just ask the person in front of me. They're right there. Mm -hmm. And we can get lunch after and talk and discuss ideas. But when you're doing something online, you can't really do that because the friction is really high. The second the workshop ends, the Zoom call just ends. And you, you have no contact with anyone. So you have to go through the extra effort of calling people, adding people on social media, and getting on Zoom calls to get the feedback that you need to make the presentation better. Wow. That's, I mean, I would agree with bringing the energy. I mean, um, you know, when I was on, I taught MBA uh, classes and, you know, that was interesting to be able to present to MBA candidates and, and talk with them. And, and one of the things that I observed, you know, getting my MBA was the professor would stay directly behind the podium and it would be, it almost be a mindless listening. And so I made it a point to get away from the podium get away from reading directly from a slide, which drives me crazy. Uh, and, and so I don't know if that was just me picking up on, Hey, this is some areas that we can improve upon as far as how we're delivering it. But I think it's, um, I think it's, you know, the, the daily exercise you talked about just to become better at public speaking. And uh, because I know before we hit record, I told you about my bride who you mentioned public speaking and, and she's nope, not going to do it. But and, but she will, but she has done it and she does it very well. Um, and, uh, you know, she'll tell you, she, um, she was, she's a pre-K teacher. And so you get her in front of her four, four and five-year-olds and it's just an amazing thing to watch, but talk about speaking in front of adults. And she's like, you know, so it, it's, <clears throat> but, you know, uh, and, and she would really probably classify herself as introverted. And um, what do you find from an, uh, from a person that's introverted, how do you help them overcome that? I don't know if it's shyness or what, but how do you help them overcome that and become an extrovert while they're speaking? I help them realize, Dean, why they're better communicators in the first place. So I always flip the question with introverts. So I'll prove it to you. There's three main things that introverts do significantly better than extroverts that I had to learn the hard way being an extrovert. The first one is listening. 
Introverts talk less. So because they talk less on average, they'll listen more effectively to ideas and how to engage. Whereas me, I love to yap. That's why I'm a really good podcast guest, arguably. Uh, you might you might disagree. Though. I think you are. Oh, thanks. But I'm a terrible podcast host. That's why I don't host a show because I just want to talk. So because of that, I had a lot of trouble listening earlier in my career and I still struggle with it. So it's a lot harder for me to adapt the key points of an audience to what I'm trying to share. That's mm -hmm. number one. Number two, beyond listening, is pausing. Pausing is the most important strategy, tactic in communications. But introverts master the pause. Very simply, I'll tell you why. Because they're comfortable with silence. They talk not much. They don't talk that much at all. Right? So because of that, whenever I teach them how to pause, they just go, oh, like this, and then they just pause. Whereas when you're an extrovert like me, pausing is actually very challenging. And the reason is because when we're ever at a party, at a bar, at an event, and there's a pause, you immediately want to fill up. Dean, tell me, what's your favorite color? You know, we're always trying to fill up the space. So pausing was very challenging for me to master. Introverts don't have that much trouble. And finally, number three, accessibility. Let's say we compare Gary Vaynerchuk to Brene Brown. Gary V, you either love the guy or you don't. You either say, my Amen. goodness, this guy is yeah, exactly. You either go, he's such a big role model, like he is for me. I'm a big fan of Gary personally. But then you have other people who go, oh my God, I would never bring this guy near my kids. He's swearing all the time. He's danger to, he's like a menace to society. <laughs> and there's not really an in-between. But nobody says that about Brene Brown. Nobody says, I hate Brene Brown. If you do that, the cops are going to come after you and take your family. Anyways, you get the idea. Introverts are Yeah, better. that's, uh, I mean, so it's it's funny you bring up Gary Vaynerchuk because I, I've taught classes about Lean Canvas. And one of the things we talk about is, is you know your unique selling proposition and and marketing and I always bring him up and I said well let me let me warn you before you go listen to Gary Vaynerchuk that he can be a little um, a little profane uh, with with you know swearing and things like that so if that bothers you don't don't listen to him but he does have uh, you know some great wisdom taking his wine his his dad's wine store to what was it over 100 million or something like that yeah three to 65 million i think something yeah like that. and using using you know not podcasting but video and marketing and things like that so it's interesting to when you you're right you either love him or hate him and it's uh there's no in between with him for some reason but uh so how do folks uh we talked about practicing communication and, and it's i i love the idea um present your phone for five minutes. I love that idea. But when you think about a group presentation, how do, how can folks, um, for example, I, I had a, a, a zoom call and we were co-presenting and as we're here on zoom, you're sitting in Montreal and I'm sitting in, you know, just outside Bellevue. And how do we co-present virtually and do it effectively? For sure. Dean. So there's a couple of points to keep in mind. One that is really important, probably the most important one, is even when you're not speaking, you are speaking. What does that mean? What that means is, let's say you're presenting in a group, and I'm your co-partner, so I'm going to present after you. But I'm looking at the sky, I'm looking at my watch, I'm wondering, huh, what am I going to eat for lunch today? Oh, should I have some burgers? I'm so hungry. So what does the audience realize or interpret from that? 
Well, Brendan spent three months preparing for this presentation with Dean. If he doesn't care what Dean has to say, I couldn't care less about what he has to say either. So remember that when you're not speaking, you are speaking. What does that mean? That means that when you're you're presenting, I should be nodding my head. I should be smiling. I should be taking notes. Even if I'm not taking notes, I should at least pretend that I'm taking notes so that the audience looks at me and goes, oh, Brendan has been preparing this presentation with Dean for three months and he's still taking notes. This must be really important, vice versa. So that's one. The second thing I'd recommend is to have a strong system for Q&A. Mm -hmm. So what that means is when you're in a Q&A situation, what you don't want to happen is for colleagues to disagree with each other. That would that would destroy the credibility of your presentation. Like if if I say something, or rather if you say something, and then I come in and go, ah, oh, Dean didn't get this right, it's not going to be good. So there's two ways to avoid this. One, we get aligned prior to the call. Mm -hmm. We write down a hundred different questions. I call this the question drill that we think we're going to guess together as a team. Hey, Dean, what do you think they're going to ask us about such and such? Hey, Brendan, what do you think they're going to ask us? Julia, what do you think they're going to ask us about this presentation? And we start dividing the questions. And that's how you do this effectively. And then there's another strategy that works better in person. It doesn't work as much online, which is called the Q&A master. One person fields all the questions and the other teammates, if they know the answer, they put their hands in front of their bodies. And if they don't know the answer, they put their hands behind their back. It's very subtle. I learned this from a team in Sweden and it works like a charm. Wow. That sounds amazing. I'd love to see that in action. Yeah. That, that I mean, wow, that's an amazing tip. And yeah, it's never good if you're, you're disagreeing with your co-presenter, whether it's in person or, or via Zoom, that that usually um, kills audience participation at that point. But uh, well, moving on to the speed round, I like to call it. Uh, got some hard questions for you. Uh, sure. So tell us what your top three movies are and why. Top three movies. You probably won't know these movies, Dean. A lot of them are not English movies. But but I'll give you I'll give you a few. So one that stands out to me that I'm a big fan of that a lot of people hate but that I quite enjoy is The Love Guru by Mike Mayers, the guy who was in Austin Powers. It's it's a stupid story about a guy who about Mike who becomes this love guru and he's trying to compete with Oprah and Deepak Chopra. It's really hilarious. I really love that movie a lot. I will it's check that one out because it is Mike. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a classic. You you'll you might hate it, but I love it. I've seen the movie like 10 to 15 times at least so it's a problem that's number one i'm a lot better at tv shows than movies though, i will say the the second movie i would say is probably sivaji's this is you won't you wouldn't know it's like a bollywood movie it's about a guy who becomes woolly wealthy comes back to india to donate and he loses everything some guy scams him and then he 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 turns around he turns it around and he starts uh, laundering money it's a really fascinating story and to, to help change the lives of everyone in the country in a good way like he turns black money into white money it's a really fascinating story so i really like sivaji and another one which is also a bollywood movie called gajini it's it's the it's a tamil remake of memento so memento is like a famous american movie but the uh, the adaptation in bollywood i think arguably because i've seen mementos like a hundred times better the one, the Bollywood version, it's like there's a whole love story and then you see like there's other character development, whereas Memento is really just focused on there's like two or three main characters, whereas in Gajini, there's like 10 or 15. So it's really fascinating. Wow. Interesting. Those are yeah. interesting movies. Yeah. I'll have to, I'll, I'll, those are interesting. I may have to check those out, but uh, For sure. so that, 
another hard question is what's your top three books that you would recommend and why? Yeah, I'll share three, but I usually like to recommend one because most people don't buy the books, but I'll recommend three because you asked for three. So the first one is Thirst by Scott Harrison. Scott Harrison is the founder and CEO of Charity Water. It's a nonprofit. He started to help the world gain access to clean water. I think the guy's one of the best storytellers on the planet, and he's super powerful. The guy went from being a nightclub promoter in New York City, one of the best ones, I would argue. I think he was like in the top five best promoters in the city, to building the world's largest water charity or at least arguably in America. He raised like $100 million in the last 12 months alone. Wow. He's an amazing storyteller. And there's a great quote in the book, which is the goal is not to live forever, but rather create something that will. So that's one. Second book, Zero to One by Peter Thiel. For those who don't know, Peter Thiel is the, the author of the book Zero to One, but he's also the founder of PayPal. And he also started a company called Palantir. And the book is just about how a lot of people who worked at PayPal went all to build billion-dollar companies. Elon Musk worked with Peter mm -hmm. at PayPal, uh, David Sachs for Yammer, Jeffrey Stoppelman for Yelp, Reid Hoffman for LinkedIn. And it just tells you all of their secrets. How do you build these enterprises? And it's really fascinating read, and I learned so much. And the third book is uh, – what was the third book? It was uh, Give and Take by Adam Grant. So Adam Grant is a psycho uh, behavior psychologist from Wharton. Sorry, the University of Pennsylvania, not Warren. And his his focus is he analyzes and does research on the three different types of people in the world, givers, matchers, takers. Givers give more than they take. Matchers, which how most people operate, is they give as much as they take. And the third type of person is a taker. They take more than they give. And he studies empirically which types of people actually succeed in the long term in life. And the results do surprise you. It's really fascinating. Wow. I'll have to check that one out. That's That sounds like an interesting read. That sounds like a, yeah, I'll check that one out. So where can folks find you? Absolutely, Dean. Great to be on the show. So two ways to keep in touch. Number one is the YouTube channel. Just go to Master Talk in one word, and you'll have access to hundreds of free videos on how to speak. And the second way you can keep in touch with us is by attending one of our free communication workshops. So I do a live 90-minute workshop that I facilitate over Zoom mm -hmm. every two weeks. That's completely free. Anyone can jump in. You could be an eight-year-old kid. You could be a million-dollar CEO. It doesn't really matter. So if you want to jump on that, go to rockstarcommunicator.com. Rockstarcommunicator.com. Well, folks, Brendan, it's been a great time having you on, learning more about how to communicate more effectively, and uh, definitely love the idea of five minutes every day and over the course of 30 days, and you'll be a – a great communicator and check out Brendan at master talk on YouTube, as well as rockstarcommunicator.com. And Brendan, it's been great to have you. I thank you so much for coming on and, and uh, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on the show. It's great. You bet. This has been from battle to business with your host, Dean Van Dyke. And thank you so much and have a great rest of your week. Thanks for listening in order to help others please subscribe and share this show up with other veteran business owners in your network. If you want specific guidance, feel free to book a complimentary call with Dean at deanvandyke.com. Remember, you wouldn't go into battle alone, and now you don't have to in business.